All right, so here we go. We're jumping into our uh, series of studies through Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the first letter. This is something that we've been uh, planning for now for, for quite some time. And as much as I, you know, I love, I love January, all the different things we do in January, I, I got to tell you the truth, I'm just so ready to get back into teaching through a book of the Bible. So um, we have, as, as we've normally done, we've tried to kind of set a theme for our uh, study, and we've landed on the theme of everyday discipleship. And so that's really going to be our focus as we're going through this letter. We're, we're going to be looking at it from the perspective of being discipled, from the per- perspective of, of um, becoming closer followers of Jesus. And so what I, I sort of want to do a bit of an introduction today Um, We'll look at the first nine verses of chapter one here in a few minutes, but but let me just give us a little bit of background to to the city itself and to um, the the church. We read together, as Cheryl led us, we read the the historical account of how the, the church in Corinth began. And so we'll come back to that, and, and then we'll, we'll eventually make our way to the first nine verses and just highlight a few things there. But let's, let's think about the city for a moment. Corinth was one of the major urban centers of the ancient Mediterranean world and one of the most culturally diverse in the Roman Empire. Uh, In importance and influence, it was only surpassed by two cities in the empire. One would have been Alexandria in Egypt, and the other would have been Rome itself. So so a very significant city, very, very influential city. In Corinth, both the Greek and the Roman cultures coexisted, and its location on the Isthmus of Corinth made it a prosperous mercantile community. Its mercantile character contributed to its multicultural population. So this is typical of uh, port cities. Port cities, people coming in, bringing their their wares and and trading and all of that. that. That was the... That was the context, therefore, life in the city of Corinth. It was known for its prosperity and infamous for its sexual immorality. As a matter of fact, uh, in those days, they even coined the phrase uh, a Corinthian, and that was a pejorative term. It was, if you were referred to as a Corinthian, you were being really referred to as a person of loose moral uh, lifestyle character and so forth. It was also a center of philosophy and art. And I think in many ways, Corinth culturally resembled many modern day cities, cities that we would be familiar with. 
uh, perhaps Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York City, London, and, and the list could go on and on. Um, in, in the way we think of things today, uh, Corinth would have been a uh, socially and culturally progressive city. So it would not have been any kind of a bastion of uh, social conservatism. It, it would have actually been quite the opposite. So as we saw in the, the reading of Acts and the, in the beginning of the church there, there, there's something in that account that we can't miss. It's important to realize, and it comes through, especially in the first few chapters of 1 Corinthians, uh, that when Paul came to Corinth, he came as a battered, bruised, discouraged, and even fearful follower of Jesus. Now, that's almost like unthinkable, isn't it? Like what? Paul, Paul, was, Paul was fearful? He was. And, and if we look a little further back in the story, we can understand why. You know, sometimes I think we, we think of biblical characters as superhuman, and we fail to realize that they were fully human, just like us. And as bold and courageous and as unstoppable as Paul was in so many ways, he had his moments and his arrival in Corinth was one of those moments where he was depleted, he was discouraged, and he was frightened. And as I said, if you go back a little bit further in the story, in the book of Acts, you can understand why. So go back to chapter uh, 16, and you have Paul sailing from Troas to Philippi, and you have uh, him actually doing that because he has a vision of somebody in Philippi calling out to him to come and help them. And so he goes to Philippi. He doesn't find the man that he saw in his vision, but he finds these, this small group of women alongside the river. He shares the gospel with them. A lady named Lydia comes to faith as they're there uh, in the city of Philippi, there's a young demon-possessed girl who follows them around, and she's saying, these are the servants of the Most High God, and so forth. And at, at a certain point, Paul uh, casts this demon out of this young girl. And in doing so, he brings down the ire of her masters. And so they're angry because uh, she was their source of income, or one of their sources of income. So so they raise up this thing against uh, Paul and Silas, and Paul and Silas are taken, and they are beaten, and they are put in jail. And then we have the story of the Philippian jailer. Some of you are familiar with the story there. The jailer comes to faith. and um, but, but all that to say, Paul finally has to leave Philippi. The, the rulers of the city beg him to leave, so he ends up leaving, and he goes next to Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, he is ministering there, and uh, the, the Gentiles, the, the, the Greek population, they're very receptive to his message, this, this message of this gospel. 
is, is so attractive to them. But the Jews are jealous that the Gentiles are open to Paul's message. So they form a, a group and they come and they attack Paul and they drive him out of Thessalonica. And he flees to Berea. And as he goes to Berea and he begins to minister there, he finds some receptivity, but those in Thessalonica hear that he's in Berea, so they send the mob there to, again, chase him out of town. And then he comes to Athens. And in Athens, he's not driven out of town, he's not uh, beaten, uh, he's not stoned like he was uh, even earlier than uh, Philippi, but he's mocked, he's ridiculed. And then he comes to Corinth. And in Corinth, as we saw, he meets fierce resistance from the Jews. So with all of that as a background, you can begin to understand why Paul was in the condition that he was in. And, and as we get into the letter, you're gonna see Paul saying things like, I, I was with you in fear. I was before you with trembling. Why, why was he like that? Well, he's kind of in a bit of shock from all that he's been through. And, and I want us to understand that because we need to realize that serving Jesus and the, the life of ministry in the gospel, it, it does have its hazards. It does have its challenges. But the wonderful thing is this, that the Lord is faithful. And that's what we saw in the story there. Remember, so Paul is in Corinth. He's discouraged undoubtedly because of everything he's experienced before he got there. Now he's being rejected by the Jews. He's evidently fearful that he's going to have the same experience in Corinth that he's been having in these other places. And so it's here that the Lord meets him in his despair with words of encouragement. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, do not be afraid, but speak. And do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Now, <clears throat> keep that, make a mental note of that, because we're gonna come back to that. I have many people in this city city. Now, <clears throat> so Paul, after his initial um, coming into Corinth, uh, he remains there for a year and a half. And <clears throat> during that time, he's teaching and establishing these new believers in their faith. So he is what, he's doing what we call discipleship. He's discipling these new believers in their faith. In other words, he helped them learn how to follow Jesus in their everyday lives. And so as we look at this letter together, we're gonna to see there are so many parallels between life in Corinth and life in Southern California. And, and we're gonna see how as Paul was helping them to grow, in following the Lord Jesus. As we go through these teachings, it's gonna help us to grow as 
followers of Jesus. Our goal as we spend the next several months in this letter is to become better at following Jesus, to become more like him in the way we think, the way we speak, the way we live, and the way we love. Now, let me just say a few words about the letter itself. So, 1 Corinthians, as, as we see the, the background of uh, the community that it was written to, I think we, we can begin to understand that, as I said, there are many parallels culturally, religiously, spiritually, uh, to what we're, we're living in today. And, and I think that 1 Corinthians is... Uh, for the, the 21st century church, it is what Romans was for the um, 16th century church in Europe. And, and what I mean by that is this. In, in the 16th century, we're talking about the, the era of the Reformation. The way the world was at that time, the book of Romans specifically spoke into it because the world was a very religious world, the world was, uh, the, the European world specifically was very much under the, the dominion of the, uh, the church, the, the church of Rome, and very oriented toward a works kind of uh, salvation and all kinds of superstition and things like that. And then through Martin Luther, through, through the book of Romans, Martin Luther is influenced and he comes and he brings the gospel into that situation and, and it impacts the entire culture of Europe. And this is known historically as the Protestant Reformation. And, and so it was Romans that had this tremendous impact. It was, it was the word for the time. It, it suited perfectly the, the circumstances in which people found themselves. I think 1 Corinthians is uh, very much like that for 21st century Western culture. I mean, as you read through 1 Corinthians, you just think, yeah, the, the stuff that we're reading about here is exactly the kind of stuff that we see happening all around us today. So Western culture is rapidly sliding back into its pre Christian spiritual and moral condition. And as a result, the church finds itself not only living in an increasingly pagan culture, but being infiltrated by that culture. We, we find that happening right here presently today. So, so much of what we're seeing in the culture is addressed right here in this letter. And let me just give you some examples of, of things we see in the culture that are actually addressed here in this epistle. Uh, the exaltation of human wisdom, personality cults, divisions, uh, sexual dysfunction and disorientation, confusion about life, confusion about our bodies, confusion about marriage and singleness, confusion about worship, the supernatural, uh, life beyond the grave, 
and more. These are all the things that we will address as we make our way through uh, this letter of Paul. And once again, I'm reminded of the universal and eternal relevance of the word of God. You know, some people want to dismiss the Bible as this ancient, out-of-touch piece of literature that that has no place in modern society because how could it? I mean, it's just so outdated. It doesn't really understand uh, life as it is in the world today. Nothing could be further from the truth. And I I think that people who read or or people who say that, I, I suspect that they've never read the Bible. Because when you read the Bible, you're like, wait a second. Am I reading the Bible or am I reading the newspaper? Uh, you know, am I reading the Bible or am I you know, just, just hearing a report of, of what's going on in the culture today? And so we're going to find it to be, as it always is, very relevant. Now, let, let's return, as I said I wanted to, let's return to what Paul said to, um, well, before we do that, let, let me read verses one through nine of First Corinthians. So First Corinthians, verses one through nine, Paul, and, and there's something I, I want you to listen for as we read through these first nine verses. There, there's gonna be repetition in these first nine verses that are key. And I want you to listen for it and see if you can get what we are talking about. So, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus, for in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Did you get it? Did you see what was repeated over and over and over and over? The name, the person, Jesus Christ. Paul was all about Jesus. You know, you can tell what people are about by the things they talk about. You can tell what people are excited about by the things they talk about. And Paul, you could tell what Paul was all about. He was all about Jesus. And, and that, that becomes so clear right here. So keep that in mind. We'll come back to that in a moment. But, but let's go back to what Jesus said to Paul uh, in regard to, to Corinth itself. And let me read it to you again. He says, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. 
for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So this is God's word for us today at this moment in time. God still has many people, many, many people that he wants to reach with his gospel. And listen, we cannot fall into the trap of thinking that just because our world is slipping back into paganism and, and, and deep into dark things, that the gospel is somehow irrelevant now. No, the gospel is as relevant as ever now. Because remember, it was a pagan culture that the gospel went into. So we're not even thoroughly paganized yet. We're doing our best to get there as a nation. But, you know, uh, I, mean, I mean, think about it. In, in the first century, there was no church. It was just starting. The only real manifestation of God in the first century before the apostolic mission was the synagogue or the, the temple in Jerusalem. The Jewish people, they were, they were the, the one group on the planet that were the people of God. And by that time, they were all confused about their own identity and about their mission and it wasn't like they were having any kind of a great impact in, in any of the societies they were in. They were pretty much uh, keeping to themselves and they, they were not on any kind of a mission to speak of to really spread the knowledge of the one true God. So the world is completely paganized with all of the things that come along with that, all of the idolatry, all of the perversion, all of the uh, injustices and all of the, uh, just the evils that, that permeate those kinds of cultures have permeated them and still permeate them. But it was this world that the gospel was sent into. And like Paul said to the Romans, he was absolutely convinced that the gospel was the power of God to salvation. Paul is going to go to Rome. He's going to go to the epicenter. He's going to go to the capital. And he says, man, I can't wait to get there to preach the gospel to you because the gospel is the power of God to salvation. This is God's answer to these things. And so we have to understand that. And God's word to Paul regarding Corinth, I believe, is God's word to us today. I have many people I'm not finished working. I have many people in this town, in this city, in this county, in this state, in this nation. I have many people around the world still that I want to draw to myself and I want to use you, my people, to do it. So what are we to take away from that? Number one, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Listen, lots of Christians are being driven by fear at this very moment. There's so much fear out there. And, and the fear is causing people to either 
you know, sort of run and hide, or it's causing them to get this, this kind of a boldness that's not really a Holy Spirit boldness, but it's just an aggression uh, toward those that they perceive to be the enemies. And neither one of those postures are the right posture. We're not to run and hide, but we're not to also take up our arms and go out and attack. We are to go forward with the gospel. We're not to be afraid. And so as we hear all of these uh, things, and, you know, just so happens that we live in the the day of uh, the internet and social media and all of the information that's out there and everybody's got an opinion about where things are going and what's going to happen. And they, they can see it all and they're telling us all about it. And, you know, people are listening and they're getting freaked out. We cannot listen to those voices. We must listen to the voice of the Lord Jesus who said, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And secondly, don't be silent. Don't be silent. Now, there, there are people that want to silence us, of course. There, there always have been and there always will be. The devil does not want the gospel to go forth. That's just a simple fact. He does not want people hearing the good news uh, if he can get it distorted, that's okay. That, you know, that's fine. He'll, he'll let that go out, a distorted version of it. But the last thing he wants is people who are, who are really, you know, just clearly bringing Jesus to the culture. So he's, he's going to push back against that in various ways. And so we have to not be afraid and determined to not be silent. Oh, we're going to speak. We're going to speak the truth. But remember, we're also going to speak the truth in love and in wisdom, and in winsomeness, but we're going to not be silent. We're going to speak the truth. And then this beautiful reminder Jesus says to, to Paul, which is for us as well, I am with you. I am with you. The Lord is with us. Now listen, it, it, all of this, of course, this rhetoric in the culture and the fear and all, all of these predictions about what's going to happen and so forth. I mean, all of this is connected to politics. It's all connected to the outcome of the election and, and all of these kinds of things. And let me just ask you um, a simple question. Did any of this take the Lord Jesus by surprise? No, it did not. Is any of this out from under the control, the, the ultimate sovereign control of the Lord Jesus Christ? No, it's not. And so we have to conclude from that that uh, God is still on the throne. The mission has not changed. It's still the same. And the Lord is with us. He's with us. And so we've got to remember, we're not in a culture war. Some people are. And many Christians are sucked up in a culture war. But you see, if you're in a culture war, then you're fighting against flesh and blood. But the Bible says we do not fight against flesh and blood. See, our fight, it's a different fight. And since it's a different fight, we have to have a different strategy. 
Because the enemy is not the people in front of us. They are actually the victims of the one who is really the enemy. They're held captive by him. And our objective is to try to liberate them from that. But if we're attacking them, we're not going to be doing a very good job. And so we've got to go for the real enemy, the principalities, the powers. And we've got to fight in that way. Because Jesus said, I have many people. I have many people in this place, Corinth, that, that wicked city. Jesus said, I have many people there. And that's true of every uh, wicked city in the world today. God has people there. So, that's the Lord's word to us, I believe, for today. So what is our message? Well, we saw it there in the first nine verses, right? Did you notice nine times in nine verses, Paul speaks of Jesus Christ? And when Paul will write to the Corinthians, and when we jump in and start looking at what he's saying to them, he's saying things like, I determine not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ. See, Paul, Paul was a smart man. Paul was an educated person. Paul was cultured. He knew his religion better than almost anyone in his generation. He understood the world that he lived in. He knew uh, Greco-Roman culture, he knew all of these things. And he knew this, that in those things, there was not a solution, that there was a solution in one place, and that was in the person of Jesus Christ. So he said, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ. And that is the message that we have we need to keep Jesus at the front and the center. And you know, when you, when you tack anything else onto Jesus, let me just say this, when you tack anything onto Jesus, you move him out of the center. So don't tack anything onto him. You know, I, I've noticed this on social media. Um, I've noticed people, they, you know, there's a profile, so they tell you a little bit, bit about themselves. And they say, Jesus conservative. Or they say, Jesus progressive. Right there, this is what you can know. Switch the order. Because the cause always comes first. I'm a conservative first, but then Jesus is part of it. That, that's, the way it, that's the way it works out in real life, whether they intend it to work out that way or not. I've seen it over and over and over again. So the moment you attach a cause to Christ, whether it be a conservative or progressive cause, you've just taken the focus off Jesus and impaired people's ability to see him clearly. We have got to be faithful to, to just say, hey, we are talking about Jesus. Now, what about all of these other issues that fall into the category of conservative or progressive? What about those? Guess what? Jesus takes it upon himself 
once he comes into a person's life to sort them out on those things. That's his job. And, and I think a lot of Christians today, they've got, the, they've got it backwards. We're going to go into the culture and we're going to try to sort everybody out on their wrong views about society and about life and all of that. We're going to get everybody sorted out and then tell them, and you know, Jesus is the answer. It's backward. No, we go out with the gospel. Let them grapple with Jesus. See, when a person comes to Jesus, he does the change. I learned this a long time ago. When I was pastoring years ago, and I, in my younger years, I was naive about a lot of things. And I would get on, you know, during, especially during election times, I would get on all these rants, you know, like everybody about, you know, the candidates and all of that. Um, and, you know, I remember one time reading through Titus. And Paul says there in Titus, he says, he says, speak evil of no one. For we were all at one time... Um, you know, basically just goes on to describe our lost condition. So speak evil of no one. And I thought, man, I felt like the Lord was speaking to me about my speaking evil of uh, certain candidates and so forth. So I just thought, you know, okay, Lord, I, I'm not going to do that. And I just determined from that point that I, I just did not want to go there. And I'll never forget, there was a couple that came and joined our church. They came from, I don't know, the Midwest somewhere, I think, Minnesota or something. And and uh, I just I would see them at church and didn't really know much about them. And um, I had heard that they had received the Lord. And that was wonderful. But, but anyway, one day they came up to me and they said, you know, um, we just want to introduce ourselves and tell you a little bit about our background. And then they said, and we want to thank you that uh, you haven't really been political from the pulpit because... Uh, we came in here as, in those days, the term was, we, we came in here as complete liberals and coming from our background and so forth. And, you know, had you ranted and raved about those kinds of things, we probably would have never stuck around long enough to receive Christ. But you didn't, and we did receive the Lord. And, you know, God's been changing our views on a, on, on a number of things. So they just were there to say, we want to thank you for that. That's the way it works. Jesus is the one who does that. So we got to keep Jesus at the forefront. He's got to be the center of the message. And we have to have confidence in him that he's able to correct and instruct and direct those people that come to him. And guess what? They might even draw some different conclusions than we do about certain things. But that's not my problem. I might not even be right about those things. But even if I am right, it's still not my problem. It's the Lord's problem. And he's able to sort it out. So, keeping Jesus at the forefront. That's our message. That was Paul's message. Jesus Christ. That's what a Christian is to be about. He is who we are about. And then thirdly, what is our posture? So our message is Christ. What is our posture? Verse three, 
grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, Paul is applying this to those who have already responded to the gospel. But when Paul went to Corinth, he went with the message of grace and peace. Paul went into this city and among these pagans with the message of grace. Let's remind ourselves of what that message of grace is about. Grace is about undeserved and unearned favor. And and Paul went into Corinth like he had been going into all of these other cities, whether it be Athens or Thessalonica or Philippi, he he had gone in with the gospel of grace, the good news that God was extending a peace offering to human beings and would freely receive them and cleanse them of their sin and bring them into a wonderful relationship with himself on the one condition that they would put their trust in Jesus. That that was the message. It was the message of grace. And so that's our posture. Again, our posture is not this combative, enraged, mad at the world. That is not the posture of the Christian. It shouldn't be anyway. And if it is our posture, we're we're somehow missing something. We're not secure in the power of the gospel. We're not totally sure that Jesus really is in control. So so we're thinking we got to somehow take control ourselves. But if we do believe that Jesus is indeed who he says he is and that he's doing what he said he would do, then our posture can be grace and peace. We come as the ambassadors of Christ, informing the world that God is not currently imputing men and women's sins to them, but he's offering them reconciliation. And so, in closing, God's offer to the many, remember, I have many people in this city. God's offer to the many that have yet to come to him, the many who are right this moment over their heads in sin, evil, and darkness, the many who feel there's no hope of forgiveness, his offer is grace and peace. That's what we're bringing to people. That's the good news. The Gentiles had never heard any good news. There are pagan deities. There there was no good news in that. The Jews had failed to really understand the heart of God for all people. There was no good news coming out of the synagogue. And man, Paul comes to town and he comes with good news. And sinners, wicked, evil people, they get saved. And that's the way It's been working ever since. And so, 
God offers grace and peace. And that peace with God has come to us through the blood of the cross of Jesus. It's the peace of God that will rule our heart and minds as we come to a place of living at peace with him through faith in Christ. And so how is such mercy and kindness available to a person like me, you might ask? How is that possible? I mean, is that really true? When we, when we even, let's think about, just think about maybe, well, you could think about yourself perhaps, but, but maybe it's somebody that you know. Maybe somebody you used to know. Somebody that is just about as far out there as you could ever imagine anybody being. Do we realize that that is the person for whom Christ died? That, is, that person is a candidate for the grace of God. How can that be, you ask? Well, let me explain it to you through the bread and the cup, which we are going to receive together here in just a moment. The bread and the cup. Remember what Jesus did on the night that he was betrayed? He took bread, he broke it, He gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat this for this is my body which is broken for you. And you know, that was connected to the prophecy of Isaiah that spoke of the Lord's servant who would be wounded for our transgressions, who would be crushed for our sins. That the the chastening that would bring our peace was upon him and by his stripes we have been healed. When Jesus said, this is my body broken for you, he he was referencing Isaiah's words. And then you remember he took the cup and he passed it around. He said, take and drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant shed for the remission of sins. And so when we, when we share together in the bread and the cup, it's a reminder to us of how it is that grace flows. Grace flows to us because of what Christ did for us. And the only thing that separates me and you from the most wretched person out in the world is the grace of God and the fact that we've received it and they have yet to receive it. So as we receive it together today, and let's, let's remember that. And let's be thankful for what God has done for us, but let's remember too that he still has many, many people that he wants to to have partaking together uh, with him and us in this meal. And that we would 
make ourselves available to him to be used to that end.